Welcome to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. This week, we are continuing our series titled Legacy. Whether you realize it or not, your life has a profound impact on those around you. We can use our uniquely created talents, abilities, and gifts to make a difference in our world. Is it possible God wants to use you in a special way to change your world for good? We hope that this talk encourages you and inspires you as you grow in your relationship with God and others. Well, good morning. Uh, Some time ago, I read the story about a minister who walked up to his podium and he was getting ready to speak, and he said, you know, I had a different message planned for you today that I've been working on all week, but he said, I woke up this morning and God said he wanted me to speak about something else, and so that's what I'm going to do. And so the minister went on to deliver his talk that morning, and it was clear to everybody that was there that um, God really had changed what he was going to do. As soon as the service was done, this woman came up to him, and she was just beaming, and she says, I just love the fact that you know, you're so close to God and that you're willing to change your message at the last minute like that. And then she said, you must really be able to hear from God. And the minister humbly said, no, actually quite the opposite. If I'd been able to really hear from God, I would have heard what he wanted to say to me on Monday. Instead, it took all week for it to sink in. I can kind of relate to this. This has happened to me not very often, thankfully, but there have been a few weeks where I woke up on a Sunday morning and thought, no, God has something else here. But what I want to talk about here today is the fact that, you know, God wants to speak to all of us, not just to ministers. Every week I spend a fair amount of time uh, praying before I come out here. I ask God even during the week to show me what he wants me to say and even how he wants me to communicate it. And I really try to, to live out what 1 Peter chapter 4.11 says, where Peter was talking about various gifts that God has given within the church. And he said this, if anyone speaks... If that's the gift they have, it should be as one who speaks God's words. Another version of the Bible puts it, whoever speaks, let him speak as it were the very words of God. And that's kind of a tall order. And before I come out, I'm usually praying that every Sunday morning, Lord, I want to speak as it were your your words, not mine. You know, God will use my experiences, my stories, my language, but there's a message he wants to communicate, and I want it to be his message, not mine. But I want us to understand that God wants to speak to all of us. And so as I was telling the story at the beginning here, some of you are thinking, yes, it's important for a minister to be able to hear from God. What I want us to understand is it's important for all of us to hear from God. That if you know Jesus Christ, if you are a child of God, having put your trust in the risen Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and he wants to communicate with you. And it's very important that we hear what he wants to say. My takeaway today is this, that God wants to lead us each day to accomplish his will. That's why it matters. What if every day our perspective were to to wake up and say, God, okay, here I am, I am yours, and I want to follow your leading, you know, because we're told walk in the Spirit, walk in step with the Spirit. I want to do what you want me to do. Today I want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven through me. And usually this is going to involve serving God by serving other people, but we offer ourselves to God and and we want God to speak to us. 
And it's because God does have specific things he wants to accomplish in and through our lives. And Paul talked about this in Ephesians 2.10. He wrote, For we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. He says we are God's creation. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. When it says that we're his creation, um, it doesn't mean that we are, we were, he's not talking about the fact that we were created by God, like this body that we have and everything else. Like, yeah, he created you. That's not the point he's making. He's emphasizing the fact that we were recreated in Christ Jesus. It's a recreation. As he said in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. But it means that he changed us, made us a new creation because there's certain things he wants to accomplish in and through our lives. He basically equipped us for what he wants to do through us. Let me make a couple observations about this phrase when it says we are his creation. Or some of your versions translate it, we are his workmanship. First, I want to note that the word his is in the emphatic position in the language in which this was written, which just means this, that the way you understand the verse is his creation you are. His workmanship. You, you are his work of art. Some have translated as you are his, his work of art. Another scholar notes what this word even means, creation or workmanship. A scholar by the name of Honer, he writes, the word workmanship denotes a work of art or a masterpiece. Now notice I included in there the the, the Greek word, which is pronounced bima, but it's actually spelled like poema. We are his poema, although you pronounce it in the Greek bima, but we are his poema. That's how it looks like in the English writing of that. I mention that because that's the word from which we get our English word poem. That's where it comes from, this word. And suddenly you understand that God has made us a masterpiece, a work of art. We are his, his poem. And again, he did it so that he might accomplish certain things in and through our lives. But it raises the question, if God wants to speak to us throughout the day and wants to lead our steps and whatever, how does he do it? How does God communicate to people? And so that's the bulk of what I want to talk about here today. I want to look at eight different ways in which God communicated with people in the pages of the Bible. But as I go along, I'm going to talk about some of the issues associated with the different ways. In fact, I believe that the main ways in which God speaks to us today will be found in the last three. Those are the, those are the normative ways in which God wants to speak to us. So we're going to look at these. Some of you may even disagree with where I land on some of my perspectives on these. So just view it as something to think about. But let's mention eight ways in which I think God wants to communicate with us. Number one is that sometimes in the Bible, God spoke directly to people. I would call this, what I'd call this is face-to-face. There are times when God spoke to people face to face. Now, I immediately need to say that, you know, God told Moses, no one has seen the face of God. No one can see the face of God and live. This body we have, it's a container that's too fragile to look upon God in his glory. And so you you wonder, what do you mean that God spoke face to face? Well, he tempered his glory, and many times he appeared in the form of a man, And then he would deliver a message directly himself. And so we have an example of this. Of course, lots of examples. It starts with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. 
where God's in the garden calling out to them, and then he spoke with them. But Moses is probably the best example, Exodus 33:11. We read, the Lord spoke with Moses face to face, just as a man speaks with his friend. I, I just love the image of that. I, I envision a table there, and I see God on one side and Moses on the other, and they're just talking. And I just want to be in a chair, like over in the corner. I just want to hear what they have to say. I'd love to hear the questions Moses would ask, but this is, this is how it was with Moses. He sat down, it says, they spoke face to face. And, and again, it wasn't in his full glory. You can't look upon the glory of God, but God himself was the one delivering the message. Now others, this happened with other people. Of course, Abraham is an example. And under this first point, I put the encounters Jesus had with people in the Old Testament before the incarnation. The, the before Jesus took on flesh and blood at the event we call Christmas, before he did that, he would sometimes show up and he would speak to people. And usually the form he took was what's called the angel of the Lord. And when you read about the angel of the Lord, usually it's not an angel like you think of. In fact, the word angel just means a sent one. But the angel of the Lord is usually God taking on this angelic form or a form of a person and then talking face to face. But usually this was Jesus. Now, example where this happened is the story of Gideon, where we read Gideon from the Old Testament was one of the judges of Israel and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and he had a conversation with Gideon, the angel of the Lord, both back and forth. And then it wasn't until later in the story, Gideon realizes that was God. And he became very afraid because he knew the theology, you can't look at the face of God and live. And God said, you're not going to die. But the angel of the Lord was God, and specifically, this is a Christophany, we call it, an encounter with God. So does God do this today? Not usually. I don't, I don't think he needs to anymore. Deliver a message directly. It was more important when he needed to introduce himself to Adam and Eve and on certain occasions, but he could do it. So don't get me wrong on this. He could do it, but I don't think... I don't think he even wants to do it, and the reason he doesn't want to do it is that what God wants from us is faith. Didn't Jesus say it's better to believe without seeing? That faith is what pleases God, and when we trust him, though we don't see him, that's something that pleases God, and so this is not the way in which God, I don't think, usually speaks with people. So what's the second way that God spoke to people in the Bible? Well, it was through, sometimes, Dreams and visions. Now, let me give you some examples of this. Of course, there are a lot of them, but remember how Joseph, the 11th son of, of Israel, uh, had some dreams that his family was going to bow down to him. You might remember he had two different dreams, and, and both of them had kind of the same meaning, that his brothers and his parents would bow down to him. And then 13 years later, we have the fulfillment of that dream. And I believe he knew all along it was a dream from God, and I'll explain why. I think he knew that, but 13 years later, after Joseph had been sold by his brothers into slavery and then had been falsely accused and ended up in prison, he was finally promoted to second in command over all of Egypt, and he was in charge of dispensing food And there was a famine in the whole region, and so Joseph's brothers went to Egypt. They heard there was food there, and they ended up in the presence of their own brother, but they didn't recognize him. He looked too Egyptian. The beard was gone and everything else that you'd associate with his culture. 
But in Genesis 42, 9, we read, Joseph remembered his dreams about them. Now, this story, there are other dreams around this period. You remember that Pharaoh was given a couple dreams. God wanted to communicate to Pharaoh, you know, what he was about to do there. And in Daniel's day, Daniel not only had dreams, he had, he had visions as well, and, and so did the, the worldwide leader, Nebuchadnezzar. God gave Nebuchadnezzar some dreams through which he communicated certain things. In the New Testament, we have also dreams and visions. For example, Peter had a vision of a sheet that was coming down from heaven that had a bunch of animals in it, and, and a voice from heaven said, take and eat. And he argued with God, and three times that thing came down, and, and God used that vision to change Peter's theology about how he should view Gentiles or non-Jews. It's very, very effective to change his perspective. Now, you might wonder, what's, what's the difference between a vision and a dream? Well, a, a dream would happen at night when you're asleep. Basically, it's whether you're awake or asleep. A vision happened when someone was fully awake, but they were kind of transported to another place. But they're basically kind of the same thing. So the Apostle Paul had a dream in Acts 16, verse 9. During the night, a vision appeared to, to Paul. Now, if it's a vision, again, he probably was awake, but it was nighttime. A Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him, cross over to Macedonia and help us. And so he took this as a sign that, that uh, God was sending him to Macedonia, to where he ended up in Philippi. Now, does God do this today? Well, once again, I would say yes. But there are some issues with this whole subject of dreams and visions. Let me mention some of the issues and maybe a way to discern things. Because I have run into some people that have shared a dream with me, and I felt like that sounds like it's from God. So please don't think I'm saying God can't do that or whatever. But I think there are some concerns here. Number one is that it's just not always so easy to tell whether something's a dream or a message from God. And so people have this kind of wild dream, and they said, God spoke to me through a dream, and I'm wondering, well, I don't know how I know that. I don't know how you necessarily know that. Second, the interpretation is is not clear either. And so, you know, there are people, like there's a pod, several podcasts like this, I'm sure, but I've seen some podcasts where somebody, all they do on their podcast is share the dream that God gave them and then they interpret it. But I'm, I, I don't know that, that the interpretations are so fanciful and I think, yeah, that doesn't, how do I know this, you know? Well, it's this third point and it's the most important observation I'd like to make about dreams and things and visions that they usually occurred more than once and they were usually different. In other words, um, you know, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, we're told that the way that you discern the truth of something is you need more than one witness. Jesus even acknowledged that. You know, if you're not going to believe what the Word says about me, then believe on the basis of my miracles. But it required a couple witnesses. And so in the stories I even referred to, Joseph didn't have one dream, he had two. They were different, but they were identical. And so in the one dream, he dreamt that his sheaf of wheat grew up taller than all the ones around, and then 11 of them, and other ones, his parents bowed down. That was his first dream. His second dream is he dreamt about that the star, I'm sorry, the moon and the sun and 11 stars, he had 11 brothers, they were all bowing down to him. So he has these two different dreams. They're completely different 
But you don't have to be brilliant to recognize, hey, you know, this looks like this is this is a confirmed message. And it wasn't until later he understood that. And then when he was in prison, you remember a couple of the prisoners had dreams, and he was in charge of them. And each of them only presumably had one dream, but they, there were two of them, and their dreams were identical in some regards. Both dreams talked about what was going to happen in three days. And Joseph saw that and realized this is a confirmation here, and that's what we look for. Pharaoh, he had multiple dreams, and they were identical. He dreamt about the seven really heavy cows and seven really thin cows, and there were seven of each. And then he, he dreamt about these seven heads of grain that were huge and seven heads of grain that were real small and, and emaciated looking. And Joseph just heard that and he said, well, this is real obvious. You're going to have seven years of, of feast and seven years of famine, basically. It was real clear. And so even Peter's vision here, The sheet came down three times. So I'm just saying that the, the, the thing about this one is that we want to know God is speaking to us, not guess. And I, I just, I'm just not always persuaded. And, and so, but can God do it? Yes. And I personally believe that in the last days, when we get closer to the return of Christ, there are some verses that say that this, God will communicate more in that way. How else did God speak to people in biblical times Sometimes God spoke through the casting of a lot. Now, casting lots was similar to throwing dice and using the outcome to determine what to do. And there are lots of examples of this uh, in, in the Bible and outside, extra-biblical uh, content. A scholar by the name of David Cohen explains that archaeologists have found numeric cubes in Persia that apparently were used for divining the future. They would throw these cubes, and based on the number that landed, would attempt to discern the future. This might look like kind of a, just a pagan idea to determine the will of the gods, but Israel did the same thing in terms of some lots that they had. That they, they would use it uh, in different ways. For example, they determined which tribes of Israel or family lines would get which part of the promised land. That's how they determined it. They cast the lot. In the book of Proverbs, we read that even though a person casts a lot, God is the one that determines the outcome. And so they believed that God was leading them through the casting of the lot. On the Day of Atonement, they would set aside two goats or sheep to sacrifice on this important day, and they were to determine which of the two was to be sacrificed and which was to be released and set free. It's where we get our phrase, scapegoat. And so they would cast the, the, the dice, the, the, you know, the, the lot. They'd cast the lot, as it was called. There's an example in the New Testament as well, of course, with, with Judas. After he betrayed Christ, he hanged himself. And uh, the early church realized that they needed to replace him, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But how did they decide who would take the 12th position among the apostles? Well, two individuals were put forth, and then we read in Acts 1 and verse 26, then they cast lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was numbered among the 11 apostles. So are we to cast lots today? I don't think so, personally, because we don't have any direction in Scripture how the thing would work. 
We don't know anything about it. Also, I'm concerned about it because it's just a. It could be just a chance. There have been times in the past where I ask God for signs about something, like reveal it somehow, a sign through this thing, or whatever, and it would come true. And then I wondered, yeah, but was it just a coincidence? You know, is the throwing of dice just a coincidence? So I don't think this is the way to do it. But if you happen to find yourself in a situation where you have two equally attractive options and you can't figure out what to do, like whether to go out for Chinese or whether to go out for Italian, you can throw some dice and figure it out. But it's not, it's not a, a biblical way to determine God's will for your life. So how else did God do it? Sometimes he sent an angel to deliver a message. Lots of examples of this. God sent an angel, for example, to Daniel to explain a particular vision that he had had. I'm reading right now about, uh, in, about Ezekiel. That's where I am in my Bible reading. And he, he sees a vision of these cherubim or whatever. And, and of course, some of the greatest examples of angelic visitors happen in the New Testament with the announcement of the birth of Jesus to Mary through Gabriel. And then the uh, angels that appeared to the shepherds in their, their fields at night. And so, so this did happen. But let me say about this, first of all, I don't, I don't know anyone that's actually had an angelic visitor. And I think there are reasons why God usually didn't do this. Angelic visits seem to be reserved for very, very significant messages where the timeliness was essential. You know, a message needed to get to someone like Jesus was born today. And it was a very important message that impacted all of humanity. And that's most of these angelic visits, even to Daniel in the Old Testament, they were about the entire future of Israel. So this idea that, you know, an angel will appear to me and begin talking with me, I believe that if God did that, it would be a distraction from the message. Now, Again, I've never met anyone that said that they had uh, an angelic visitor, and if you have, I'd be curious uh, about the story, whatever, because God could do it. We're not saying that God couldn't do that today. And I have read, though, and I've read some people's books about it where they said an angel appeared to me and they wrote down everything the angel kept saying, but I have to admit I just wasn't persuaded because some of whatever the message was was against Scripture, so I knew immediately that's not from God. And then often, I, I don't know how to put this except to say that most who take great pride in angelic visitors or whatever, they're not very credible witnesses. They're just not. So, but God could do it. It's just not normative. That's my point. God can communicate in all these ways, but it's not normative. And, and God is not about wowing us with angelic visits. So if you're saying, boy, I'd love to be visited by an angel, most people are scared to death. And again, it was a very important message and the timeliness of it mattered. How else did God speak to people in biblical times? Sometimes he spoke through circumstances. I call this open and closed doors, you know, and I think we have an example of this in Acts 16, 6 and 7. Paul was traveling with his companions. They were starting churches in various places and they'd go to this place and that and, and just preach. But he was stopped on a couple of occasions and in Matthew 16, 6 and 7, we read, they went through the region of Phygia and Galatia and were prevented by the Holy Spirit from speaking the message in Asia. We don't know how the Holy Spirit prevented them, but they were prevented. 
When they came to Mysia, they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them. Now, I don't know if, if the Holy Spirit just spoke to them. I tend to think that God closed the door. And this happens sometimes in our own lives. You know, you, you feel like God's leading you to buy a house, for example, and you say, this is the one, and I th- we think God is leading us to buy this house. But then you go to the bank and they say, we're not giving you the money. And you realize there's no way to get a loan for the house. I'd call that a closed door. And, and he, he does that, you know. And in other occasions, a missionary may be wanting to get into a particular country, but they won't let him in. Well, that's normally would be a closed door, although I have to admit I have a friend of mine that snuck into... I think it was Pakistan, and uh, still preached the gospel there, which gets me to the issue about open and closed doors. What's the problem with that, just looking for open and closed doors? See, what I prefer is that we find God's will first and then evaluate whether or not this obstacle is open or closed. But Satan can close doors too. And we don't know if a closed door is necessarily opposition from the evil one. We don't know. I'll tell you this. When I came here to help plant the church, I faced lots of closed doors. We, the opposition we faced, I should talk about it sometime, but the opposition we faced was ridiculous. The attempts to get us kicked off campus when we formed a student group. And, and, and the opposition from a lot of different places. And I could have viewed it as, well, this is a closed door, or else I could have viewed it as God led me here, and I'm going to push through. And that's the thing about open and door closed. Now, sometimes God will do this. He will open a door, and you'll realize this is an opportunity that God has opened up for me. And there's an example of that in the book of Acts, where there are many opportunities that are opened up. And sometimes there are closed doors. I know that that this can happen, but we should not be dragged along by our circumstances. I've known some people that made almost every decision based on this. Open door, closed door, open door, closed door. If it's a red light, turn right. If it's a green light, go through. You know, they, they base everything on this. And they become victims of their circumstances. I don't think that's the way this should work, but sometimes it's part of the equation. Now, I think these were some of the main ways God spoke in the Old Testament, but there are three more, or throughout the Bible. There are three more more ways. And these ones, I think, are the the usual ways in which he wants to speak to us today. The first one is that often God speaks to us through his word. In Hebrews 4.12, we read, For the word of God is living, and it's effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, It is able to judge the ideas and thoughts of the heart. It's able to lead us. God's word, it's filled with direction. Do you want to hear from God? Read the Bible. I don't know why we're so attracted to these flashy ways when God has spoken in in the Bible. And and how this works is that the the Bible, of course, is the, the sword of the spirit. And so as you're reading, God speaks to you. So you come across a verse that says, forgive and, and the Holy Spirit speaks to you and says something to the effect, you need to forgive your brother, you need to forgive your sister. And you take it as a word from God. Now, the early church followed God's word in this way. They recognized the Old Testament, which was all they had was God's word. 
But one day, the early church was together after Jesus had already returned to his Father in heaven, and, and they were gathered together, and they were in that story I mentioned earlier about trying to replace someone for Judas. And, and why did they do that? Why did they feel they needed to replace the apostle? Well, it's because they were familiar with the Old Testament, and they realized some prophecies in the Old Testament needed to be fulfilled in their day. And so we read in Acts 1, 20 and 21, Peter says, For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his dwelling become desolate, let no one live in it, and let someone else take his position. Therefore, from among the men who have accompanied us during the whole time, the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us. From among these, it's necessary that one become a witness with us of the resurrection. It was necessary to fill the vacancy. And Peter knew that because he knew the Bible. He knew a thousand years earlier there were prophecies about this, and this is, this is how he, God is leading, and I think God wants to lead through his word. There's so much already there to listen to and follow. And sometimes, again, he'll speak to you directly from the word. Remember a time Years ago, where I was reading in my devotional time, and I came across the verse that said, proclaim his salvation from day to day. Proclaim it, like preach it. And when I read it, I felt like God was saying, I want you to go down to the campus at West Virginia University, in front of that mountain lair, that student union, I want you to preach. I want you to proclaim my salvation. I thought, no. That's one occasion I wish I was wrong. <laughs> you know, like, no, I don't want to do it. But I could not shake it. I just... I just felt like God was saying, do it, do it. So I said, well, at least drive down there. No promises, you know. I go down there, park the car and whatever, and, and I'm praying about it. I don't know what to do. And then I see some Christian friends of mine, and I go up to them, and I said, I had some, just a crazy idea, but I think God wants me to preach right there in the front. And I was hoping they'd say, that's a dumb idea. Don't do it. No, they, were, they loved it. This is great. Yes, that's from God. There's the confirmation. And so I stood out there and I began to share how we need a Savior. We've all sinned and Christ died. It was a simple gospel presentation. I, I was preaching it, but the amazing thing, amazing thing happened when I was doing that that surprised me. These students sat down and listened. I just couldn't believe it. Like, there's some crazy guy standing there preaching. You're, you're to avoid that person. You, no, they sat down and they listened. I saw this as like a little church service. And I believed. I don't know what God did with that, but I, I believed God was leading me to do it. Another way God speaks to us today and did in biblical times as well is through other people. And we have an excellent example of this from the Old Testament, actually, of Moses. You think about it for Moses, or a moment, Moses was someone who spoke directly with God, so if he needed to know something, he could go to God, but God communicated a message, I believe, through Moses' father-in-law, Jethro. You maybe remember the story where Moses had led the people of Israel out of Egypt, and they were in this wilderness area, and, and his father-in-law heard all that had happened with the plagues in Egypt and everything, and he came to visit Moses. But when he arrived, he noticed that Moses was sitting in a chair and there was a huge line of people waiting to talk to him. And all he did from early morning to late at night was saw, settle disputes, answer people's questions. He's just fixing things. And when his father-in-law saw this, he said, this isn't good. 
It's found in Exodus chapter 17. And we'll read verses 17 through 19 only. He said, what you're doing is not good. Moses' father-in-law said to him, you will certainly wear out both yourself and these people who are with you because the task is too heavy for you. You can't do it alone. Now listen to me. I will give you some advice and God be with you. And then his response is found in verse 24. Skipping to verse 24, we read, Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He took it as, as, this is wisdom from God. In the book of Proverbs, we're told, get counsel, get you know, advice from other people. And this is the way to check. One of the ways to check whether God is really speaking to you or not. And so if you question, is this the word of God? Ask some godly people about it. People that love you and say, I feel like God's saying this. Is it true? Do I know if it's true or not? And by the way, too, some of the ones in whom God especially wants to speak to us is our spouse. And then if you're young and living at home, your parents. God speaks to you through your spouse. When you're to love that, that man or that woman, and, and if whatever you want doesn't fly by them, I, I would say you better, if you love them, you're going to listen We need to listen to our spouse. It's not 100% the case, but God speaks to us through our spouse. And then children are to obey their parents. And so you wonder, is this God's will? Because my parents said to do this. Well, I don't need to know anymore if you're living at home under their their care. Children, obey your parents. I know God's will for you already. And, And this is true of other authority structures that are out there where God leads through different ones. And so we need to listen to other people, but friends as well. The last one I want to touch on here today is that often the Holy Spirit uh, speaks directly to our spirit. We have an example of this in Acts 4.29. The Spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. Holy Spirit. No, no one appeared to him. The Holy Spirit. Now this is... This is one of the biggest ways in which God speaks to us. I think it's, it's kind of what he does. And it brings us full circle to what I kind of began with here, that when we're a children of God, the Spirit of God lives inside of us. And Jesus announced that this was the way it was going to be, or at least related to it, when he met that woman at the well near Samaria. And she asked him the question, where do you meet with God? You know, should it be at the temple in Jerusalem or here at Mount Gerizim where, where we Samaritans worship God? Where's the correct way? His response is found in John 4, 22 and 23. But an hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Notice that the word spirit is a small s. That we worship with our spirit. It's not talking about the Holy Spirit there. True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship Him. For God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. You see what He's saying? Well, God is a spirit, and of course, the spirit of Christ lives in you, and you have a human spirit, and so the main way in which we communicate with God, whether it's worship, when we do worship, it's in our heart to God. And it's this listening to the Spirit of God as He speaks to us. And I think, again, God's Spirit wants to lead us moment by moment and day by day, and He does it in a variety of different ways. 
I have a story here. I don't want to go into the detail of it, but I'm reminded of a time that、um, I felt like God wanted me to share the gospel with this student I happened to run into when I was walking home from class. I recognized him from one of my classes. I don't think he even knew his name, but I felt like as soon as I saw him, we were headed the same direction. I felt like God was saying, "Share the gospel with him." And I, in my heart, I said, "Well,、um, if you show me how, I don't know how to even bring it up." And it came up in an interesting way. The subject came up, and the next thing I knew, I was sharing Christ with this young man, and he was so open to it. He was so he was so glad to hear about it. And then I remembered I had a little gospel booklet in my back pocket, and I, or I'm sorry, in my my book bag, and I took it out and I said, "Well, there's a prayer in the back of this, and and why don't you read this and then pray to receive Christ as your Savior?" And he indicated that he'd love to do that. It wasn't until we were parting. That I discovered, and I didn't realize this, that he had just been or was about to be elected as the president of either the stu- entire student body or the class president. I didn't know that. And suddenly, this was a young man that was putting his faith in Christ that was going to be in this position of influence. And I thought that was not an accident. God led me. I think God wants to lead us. But let me say this about God leading and speaking to you, to your heart. We have to be humble about it to realize we don't always get it right. You know, sometimes people talk about God talking to them as if it were two people talking audibly in a conversation. They say, "Well, God told me this, then I said to God, then God said to me, and then you know, like this is two-way conversation. It's so clear, and you say, 'Wow, I wish God would talk to me like that.' It doesn't doesn't really work that way. God speaks to us." And it takes humility for us to acknowledge maybe God is speaking to me, but maybe not. I might have it wrong. And I would much rather, I guess, I just would much rather people say instead of saying God told me this, if they would say I believe God told me this or I believe God's leading me to do this, because I've had too many occasions where people said things and it wasn't true. Like a time a, a family came to visit, they they probably visited twice. They didn't even live in this state, but the second time they came to visit, the man and his wife wanted to pull my wife and me aside and talk to us. And and I said, sure, I'll talk to you. I was curious what it was about. We sat down. The guy looked at me and he said, are are you okay? And I said, well, yeah. I mean, what do you mean? And he said, no, I mean, are you okay? And I literally looked at my wife and I said, "Are we okay?" She said, "Yeah." And then she looked. She's still looking at me. And she asked me the same question, "Are we okay?" And I said, "Yeah." And then we both looked at him and said, "Yeah, we're fine." It was 20 years ago. We're still together. He was sure God was telling him these things. God put it on his heart. God's telling me. We just need humility about all of this. God does speak to us. And I think, by the way, most of the time we do know what he's trying to say. It's really an issue of whether we want to do it, whether we're going to do what he has to say. So, what do I want to do? What should we do with this? Well, I think God. My takeaway again is God wants to lead us each day to accomplish His will. And I believe that. I believe we wake up and we want to listen to God, and 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 we develop over time a sensitivity to what He's trying to say to us, and it can be checked by other people. But this requires communication with God throughout the day, and I think Jesus. Painted the picture of the way this thing really fleshes out when he talked about the fact that he is the vine, we're the branches, we're just connected to him. And in John fifteen seven and eight, we read where Jesus said, "If you remain in me, 
and my words remain in you. Ask whatever you want, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. The goal here is not to understand all the ways necessarily God speaks to us. The goal is to be able to hear him because he wants to do good things through us. He wants fruit through our lives. But what's required here? It says, well, you remain in me. Let my words remain in you. It's, it's God's word and prayer. And we put these together with the help of God's people. Then I think we can arrive at an answer for where God wants to lead us. Let's close in prayer, and then we're going to sing a song for you called World Outside Our Window, and it's, a, it's about the fact that God wants to do a lot of stuff out there, and he wants to do it through us, his people. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you love us so much as to speak through us and to us. You love to lead us. Give us, O oh Lord, discernment to understand when you're speaking to us and what you want to say to us. We want to be used by you to carry out your will. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. If you'd like to hear more messages now, you can check out our past series at theridge.church slash messages or download the free Ridge app. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next time.